We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Proverbs chapter 22. As today I'd like to share with you a study entitled Living a Life of Sexual Purity. Notice what we read here in Proverbs 22 and verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. You know, I, I don't know if we have any high schoolers here. I, I mentioned to Jerry that the high schoolers can sit in. Probably not junior hires. I guess this would be considered a PG-13 uh, study. Uh, maybe even beyond that. But... um. You know, this whole concept of purity in the church, sexual purity, is a huge issue. You know, eventually we're going to get to Second Timothy. And, and, you know, we as Calvaries, we teach through the Bible. And, and I know you guys enjoy that. But I, I hope you're patient with me in sharing a few topical studies. The reason being, I as a pastor have seen so many families devastated through the sin that, uh, of sexual sin. I've seen single lives just absolutely obliterated because of this rampant epidemic problem that we have with pornography, this problem we have with sexual sin. There's this epidemic in the world and it's becoming an epidemic in the church. Many people are falling. Even the mighty, the Bible says, are falling. And they're ruining their lives and the lives of their family, members of their family. And the reason is because of sexual immorality and a lack of purity in the church. You know, you might be here today and you're like tuning out now because you're thinking, well, I don't have that problem. It won't happen to me. Well, if that's you, you just moved up to the front of the line because you've dropped your defense mechanisms. You've dropped the boundaries that are, that are necessary. You've made yourself more vulnerable. It can happen to me. It can happen to you. And so I want to just pause for a moment and share a study on living a life of sexual purity. You know, many of you know that the Church of Jesus Christ is pictured in the Bible as a building, a body, and a bride. And those are three things to remember. As a building, the emphasis is on residency. So God lives in the building, God lives in the church. As a body, the emphasis is on unity among the people of God. As a church, having that unity. And as a bride, the picture moves from residency and unity to purity. Purity in the sight of Almighty God. That as the bride is presented to Christ, she is to be presented as a chaste virgin, wearing white, symbolic of the appropriate purity imparted to us and imputed to us from the Lord himself. But, you know, the church is not living up to what she is. The church is not living up to that bride dressed in white so frequently. We find, man, is as we're going through a lot of times uh, premarital counseling, it's almost come to that place where purity is a rarity. Purity is an abnormality, almost to the point where purity is an anomaly, to where you get to the, you know, the marriage counseling or the premarital counseling, and it's like, have you stayed pure 
And if they say yes, it's almost like, wow, that is so amazing. It's almost so rare to see. A lot of times you talk to couples in premarital counseling, and what happens, you ask them, have you stayed pure? And they say, no, shucks, you know, we kind of fell into sexual sin one day. We let our guards down. Hey, we're only human. Yeah, but, but as a human, you are created in the image of God. And as a Christian, you have the power of God, you have the Spirit of God inside of you with the wisdom of God before you. And that's why it is imperative that you understand the ramifications of sexual sin. Humans possess the image of God, Christians possess the Spirit of God, and so we don't have to act like the creatures, the dogs down the street. We're different, we're different, we're not animals. Here we read in verse 11, I love this, He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, this one will be the king's friend. The Hebrew word tehor, it speaks of cleanliness. It speaks of pure physically, morally, and ethically. In the New Testament, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6.4, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And he says how? In verse 6 of that chapter, by purity. And so by purity, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. You see, there's a lot of ministers nowadays who miss that point, the point of purity. And we're going to come back to that later. But there in the Greek, the word translated purity, it speaks of chastity and uprightness of life. It comes from another Greek word found a couple of times in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. Where it says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example in purity. And later in that same chapter, Paul tells Timothy to treat the older women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. See? And so, you know, as you go through this, and this is a quick side note there, treating the younger women as sisters. You know, when a brother falls into sexual sin with a girl in the church, it's like they're committing, you know, spiritual incest. That's your sister. She's not your wife yet. She's your sister. And it's a beautiful thing when we can come to that place as a congregation where brothers see uh, the girls like that. You know, because I never had a sister growing up. I never had a brother. Now in the church, I have my brothers. Now in the church, I have my sisters. We need to remember that. We need to treat them with respect. They're, they're, They're sisters in the Lord. We need to have that purity. You know, one of the things we find, and I don't know if you guys were like this, How was it, like before, I don't know what type of social settings you got together maybe in your life, but when I I started coming to church, really it was the first time that I started getting hugs. And, um, but, you know, now in church, some of these guys, man, I I don't know, I don't, their hugs probably are, are just too huggy, if you know what I mean. And what I would say to you sisters is if you have a guy who's doing that to you, it's not a proper hug, then kick him. Okay, <laughs> we give you the green light from the pulpit right there. Kick him in the shins, man. Because, <laughs> you know, we gotta, there has to be a holy hug, right? 
All these things, so important because you get guys coming into church like this and they're, they're looking for one thing and we're going to see it later. They're wolves. And they want to find some girl that's vulnerable, that's susceptible, that's insecure, that's looking for love and, uh, and they want to seduce her. And of course it happens with girls too. There are wolvettes too, right guys? And so you need to watch out for them. But what we read right here Christians should be able to come to the altar on that wedding day. And what a beautiful thing it is when you see that on that wedding day. And, you know, they're pure as long as they've been in Christ. Before you were a Christian, doesn't count. Now that you became a Christian, things are different. Before I was a Christian, I was sexually active. But after I became a Christian, for three years, I stayed pure. Because God did it. God can do it. Don't tell me that it can't be done. See, and so when they come to the altar on that wedding day, I pray that they would be pure. And then as they're married, they would stay pure, faithful to their spouse, as long as they live. Because I'll tell you what, even that, and the statistics vary. Some say 40%, some say as many as 60% of all men will be unfaithful to their wives. And so if you stay pure, if you die with integrity... You will be a rarity. But in the Lord, it can be done. And we need to take heed to the things that he tells us. We read here in Proverbs 22, 11, that living a life of purity makes the king your friend. We saw in 2 Corinthians 6, 4, that purity makes you a good minister. And then in 1 Timothy 4, 12, that purity makes us good spiritual siblings and examples of the basics of being a Christian. You see, it's clear, it's concrete, the importance of purity. And yet, you know, uh, the following stories are true. These stories are true. And I'm sure you guys can, you know, articulate stories as well, not for the sake of gossip, but just for the sake of understanding that these things really happen. Over there, one of the guys in the ministry who seemed to have a golden heart gets her pregnant, and then leaves her and her son to fend for themselves. How many times have we seen that happen? Over and over and over again. Over there, just a few miles down the road, the pastor falls into sexual sin. The pastor falls into sexual sin with his son's girlfriend. Just a little farther down the road, going just south right there, another pastor sleeping with eight women in the church while his wife is dying of cancer. You go a little farther east and you have the pastor who fell in love with the girl in the music ministry. He left his family, she left her family. They have devastated their families and they're still trying after years to recover from the trauma of such a decision from their spiritual leader, their mom, their dad? Do you think they had that all planned out when they fell into their sexual sin, when they fell into what they would call love? Absolutely not. But we need to know going into it that this is what happens. It devastates lives. You know, I'm not saying that the Lord can't you know, put those lies back together again. He can't. He can. 
But how can someone do this to God or the people of God? And someone might say, well, Manny, why are you even telling me this? Well, because when I contemplate stories like this firsthand, and I can tell you so many others up close and personal, along with so many things that I'm sure you've heard, you know, I'm struck with the reality that this is this is absolutely devastating. It's lethal. It's epidemic. It's rampant. And it can happen to me. And it can happen to you. And just in case you're here and you're thinking, well, no way, not me. It can never happen to me. Then, like I've said before, then you just moved up to the front of the line. It's important that we all realize our vulnerability, our susceptibility. You know, I've shared this study at other churches. I've never done it here. I've been praying, you know, over the years for the Lord to show me if and when that day would come. And I, and I really believe that today is the day. You know, I don't want to wait until I hear another person falling into sexual sin. I want to wait until I see another family shattered because of sexual sin, another leader disqualified because of sexual sin. No, we know that prevention is the best medicine, right? May it never, ever happen to you. And who knows, maybe God will use this study to strengthen you in this area. I'd actually like to share with you eight things that can help you stay pure sexually. Eight things. And of course, there are so many other things to take into consideration. But man, I pray that when we die, we die with integrity. That when we die, we die with purity. Yesterday I did a funeral for a, a, a wonderful man named Daddy Fidel. Beautiful man. An example. He showed me how to live. And he showed me how to die. With integrity, with character. He impacted so many lives. And when I saw that, I said, Lord, give me a double dose of that spirit, Lord. Give me a double portion, Lord. And that's what we want, Right? You know, I pray that as we go through these eight things, that the Lord would plant them in your heart. You know, because we're so vulnerable to this, especially men. Billy Graham said there are three things that will make a man fall. Pride, money, and women. And so, you know, I do my best to remember what another man said. Don't touch the glory. Don't touch the gold. And don't touch the girls. Right? Today we're going to talk to the boys and the girls, if that's okay. Eight things to do our part, to stay pure, to not fall, and to die with integrity in the area of purity. Number one is to keep your love for God. Keep your love for God. For that, let's go over to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, this is just basic Christianity. Where Jesus said in verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so a lot of times, you know, you ask people, Hey, do you love God? Yeah, I love God. Yeah, I love God. Yeah, I love God. Why? Because I get, you know, goosebumps when I, when I worship or whatever, you know? And, and, and you know, that's not the, the test. That's not the litmus test of whether or not you love God. He has my commandments, so you got the Bible, and, and you keep his commandments. That's the one that loves God. And that will, that's really the fundamental issue when it comes to staying pure sexually, is you keep your love for God. Verse 23 says the same thing. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
And so it has to be a love for God, first and foremost. Purity is simply a matter of that. You know, it's been said that you can only conquer one passion with a greater passion. And you know, sometimes that guy comes into your life or that that girl comes into your life and whatever it is, they've got the look, they've got the personality and things like that and you hook up and you know, one thing might lead to another which is another, you know, caution for you. I I don't know why you'd want to go to first base if you don't want to go to second base or third base or hit a home run if you know what I mean. I mean, why not wait until you get married to where the pastor says you may kiss your bride? What a beautiful thing to even wait for that. But, you know, one thing oftentimes leads to another thing, right? And then there you are. You are faced with a dilemma. You are faced with the reality of who you are in the core of your heart. Do you love God? Do you love God? Or do you love yourself? Or you think you love this person? And you make that decision to fall into sexual sin. It has to be in that place where you, where you love God. As a matter of fact, the great example is over in the book of Genesis, chapter 39. If you would, let's turn there. Most of you are familiar with the story of Joseph, but perhaps not all of you are. Uh, Joseph was a young man, who knows, maybe 17 years old. He was in his sexual prime in one sense, And the Bible says that he was actually uh, well-built. He was a good-looking guy. And uh, what had happened was his brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. He found himself in Egypt. God raised him up, and he was a slave in Potiphar's house. But he had, you know, everything given to him, so to speak, in that house with the exception of Potiphar's wife. And so what ended up happening was Joseph would now be tested. And we read in verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that the master's wife, she cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Now, what we find right here is um, Joseph in a pretty interesting situation. You know, she didn't beat around the bush. Um... They're probably by themselves. They're probably in a situation where, in all reality, if Joseph would have slept with her, more than likely, they wouldn't have been found out. Have you ever been there? You know, I, I know, you know, some of us here, we might, we might pat ourselves on the back and we think, yeah, I've stayed pure. You know, I'm, I'm whatever, godly. But have you ever been in that type of situation where there she was and undoubtedly she was just fine. She was just beautiful. She was there. You're a young man and, and you know, you have that desire, man. I mean, it's just there. It's, it's raging, that desire. And, you know, you're, you're just thinking to yourself, well, is my boss's wife and, man, no one will ever find out. Have you ever been in that type of situation? Well, I would say this to you, get ready. I I hope it never happens to you, but it might. You might be there in that situation, even though we need to be so careful not to be alone with someone of the opposite sex in the wrong place. We need to guard ourselves and create those boundaries, but you might be there one day in that place all alone with what you might be, you know, consider to be the, the woman of your dreams or the man of your dreams, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I deserve this. And so when you're there, you got to know this, 
that at that moment, the battle is not won there. The battle is really won elsewhere. It's won in your heart. Do you really love God? Do you really love God? Because that's what happened with Joseph. It says right here in verse 8 that he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Look, my, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, the way that we stay sexually pure is we love God. We have to come to that place where we can honestly say, you know, I love God. You know, the more you know Him, the more you'll love Him. If you don't love Him, it's because you don't know Him. It's important for us to understand that. That'll help you. It really will. You know, most of you are probably familiar with the, the Greek mythology, the story of the sirens. And the sirens were, I don't know, these creatures, uh, I think part mermaid, even a little bit of bird, but they had the upper part of being a female. It was weird, you know. And anyways, they had this beautiful voice. It's just a beautiful voice that whenever the sailors would go by this certain area, the beauty of their music would draw the sailors. I mean, it was just, it was just almost irresistible. It was irresistible. And so when the sailors would go by in the Greek mythologies, they'd be drawn to the voice, and then so they would turn their ships towards these voices, but they would be then you know, sent to their calamity with the crushing rocks that were there on the shore. And so no one could resist the, the beauty of these sirens. And so there were two successful stories. One of them, maybe you've read in the Adventures of Odyssey, Odysseus was able to sail by because what he did, he said, I want to get by this place. And what he did was he uh, had his uh, crew tie himself to the pole. So imagine he's tied to the pole. He can't get out. And then the rest of his crew members, he, they put wax in their ears so they couldn't hear as they're passing by. So they couldn't hear. They weren't tempted. He could. Oh, and he was tempted. He was tempted. He was crying out, let me go, let me go, because he wanted to go, right? Because he was drawn with that irresistible temptation. Now, there are some people who approach sexual temptation like that, and they're like almost like tied to a pole. And it's just, it's just man, it's an awful place to be. It's a legal relationship with God. But that's not what God wants. There's another example of success uh, it was a group that was labeled the Aragonauts, and they came upon a better way to pass by unharmed. And what they did was they summoned the help of a poet and a musician by the name of Orpheus. And Orpheus was one whose music, whose lyrics, whose message, whose everything was superior to that of the sirens. And so they were able to go by this, you know, place. And they heard the temptation, they heard the sirens, they heard the music, but they also heard something far superior within their own boat. 
And that then gave them the strength and the capacity and the freedom to just sail on by. You see, and that's the way it works for us as Christians as well. You know, when you understand that that's not love, that that guy or that gal or whatever it is, as they're, you know, saying whatever they need to say to get you in the place where they want you to be, that's not love. This is love. God, the one who made you. That's a love. And you keep that love of God in your heart. And you will guard yourself against sexual temptation. It's so simple. Get to know God. He's awesome. Get to know Him more. The more you know Him, the more you love Him, and the more you love Him, the more you will obey Him. And so number one, and I think really the most important, is to keep the love of God. Number two, keep the fear of God. Keep the fear of God. You know, when it comes to the fear of God, there's two things I think of. Number one, you're going to get hit. In other words, you're going to be disciplined by God. Getting hit. And number two, going to hell. Going to hell. Getting hit. If we fall into sexual sin, can God forgive us? Oh, absolutely. He will forgive you if you repent. But remember this, my friend. There are consequences of forgiven sin, right? You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But does that mean there will be no ramification to our rebellion? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, there will always be some type of discipline, some type of really artillery in the arms of the enemy, whether it's God. And sometimes, you know, I, I go back and forth in this because God is God. He's the one that's going to decide your discipline. You don't do it to yourself. Man doesn't do it to you. God does. But whenever you fall, you always give the enemy ammunition to always remind you of your fall. And so it's a double-edged sword. Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Don't think that I'm just going to do this. I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. I'm going to just move on. And everything's going to be hunky-dory. That's not the way it works. Especially with sexual sin. It's the logic of the Lord. It's the law of God that whatever perversity we plant... We reap the fruit of our failures. Proverbs 22, verse 8 says, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. And we got to have that healthy fear of the Lord. Abraham sowed iniquity. He slept with Hagar. And, you know, we're still paying the price. If we only knew the way that our sins will affect generation after generation, after generation. But remember this, and I want to encourage you that that, that that sexual sin, you know, yeah, it does the damage and who knows how far it will go, the ripple effects of that. But I also want to encourage you in the, in the area of obedience. How far will that go? When you choose to stay pure, you choose to do what's right, you die with integrity as a man or a woman who loves God. Do we realize what a difference it makes? Maybe you're a young person and your friends make fun of you because you know, you're, you're a virgin or you're, you're abstaining from sexual sin until you get married. You know, and they might make fun of you. 
but they will deep down inside admire you. It just makes all the difference. For us, we got to fear God knowing that we will be spanked. It hurts the family. It hurts the ministry. How many men were called to do so much more for the kingdom of God? But their ministry, sometimes even their lives were cut short because some pretty girl was used by the devil to reduce them to a crust of bread. Or some guy, right? Proverbs 6, 26, it says, For a means of a harlot... A man is reduced to a crust of bread. Now someone asked me one day, one day, what does it mean he's reduced to a crust of bread? I said, I don't know, but it doesn't sound good, man. <laughs> it doesn't. You know, and of course it works both ways for guys and girls. I think of Samson, a man with so much potential. He didn't win. He was only allowed to begin. You read that in Judges chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He only began. He only began. He didn't finish. He didn't win. And how many people, and you know when you read through the Bible and you read through First Kings and Chronicles and you read the scriptures, and man, there's not a lot of guys that both started well and finished well. So many of them were cut short because of sin. Samson played with God. He played with sin. He played with the ministry. He played with the calling on his life. And he got hit. He got spanked. He got disciplined. That's what sin does. It binds you. It blinds you. And then it grinds you. Happened to Samson. It can happen to us. You know, and of course, like I said, God will forgive you. I don't want anybody to be condemned here, but neither do I want you to think that because of God's grace that you can go ahead and go forward and do whatever it is that you're engaged in and that things are going to be okay because of the grace of God. Because, you know, David is a good example of an individual who, yeah, he was a man who was after God's own heart, but he fell at the age of 50 into adultery when he should have been busy about the Lord's business, working and fighting for the kingdom of God. He started relaxing. He was up on the roof one day and he saw Bathsheba and he went through all the red flags. He slept with her. And then what ended up happening? He killed Uriah. And then one day Nathan comes to him and he pronounces a sentence on David's life. God's put this sin away. In other words, God's forgiven you. But... The things that he wanted to do in your life, he will not do any longer. He wanted to do so much more, David. But your sin has disqualified you from God's perfect will for your life. God will forgive you. But please don't use that as a license to sin. From this day forward, we have to stay pure because I don't know about you, but man, to think of the plans that God has for our lives and to thwart those plans, it would break our heart. See, we need to keep this fear of God because we're going to get hit with discipline and unless things change, you're going to go to hell. That's what the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 5, look what it says. In verse 5 of Proverbs 5. Speaking of this uh, woman, in verse 3, notice it says, For the lips of an immoral woman, they drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. And so do you think that speaks of her lipstick or lip gloss? Maybe. (laughs) 
But I have a feeling it's not just the lipstick and lip gloss. It's the way that she seduces you. It's the way that she says those things that, you know, you guys want to hear. Or that guy, you know, he wants one thing. And he knows what to say to get that gal in bed. It's the lips, right? The words they say, they drip. And it says in verse 4, In the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps lay hold of hell. That's where she leads. If you go over to chapter 7, look at verse 27. It says, again, this is crazy. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. If you go over to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 18, this guy right here thinking it's cool, stolen water is sweet. Verse 17, bread eaten in secret, pleasant, but he doesn't know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Also, while you're like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But you're living in sexual sin. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, because I prayed the prayer. That's not what Jesus said was a litmus test. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. I'm not saying that a Christian can't fall or struggle, but if you are living in repeated, repetitious sin, sexual sin, then there's no assurance of your salvation. See? Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God says sexually immoral, headed for the lake of fire. Revelation 22, verse 15. Outside are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. The fear of God. It's a good thing. I think it needs to be precedented with the love of God, but I tell you what, that fear... It, it helps me a lot. It really does. I, I fear. I fear. We're going to see a lot of things that need to be followed through on. But I fear that if I fall in this area, that God will, you know, will, will, my family will suffer. This ministry will suffer. I will lose everything. And we got to know that healthy understanding. I fear God. I fear my wife. I really fear her. <laughs> I really believe that God will kill me and he will use Shelley to do that. <laughs> Is that a good thing? I mean, my wife, she checks up on everything. She checks my text messages, my emails, my phone calls. I mean, she searches my truck. I mean, you name it. No, I'm just joking. She doesn't do that. <laughs> but she checks on me, you know. And at first, I used to resent it. I would be like, man, don't you trust me? I've never done anything to violate our relationship and all these things. But you know what? In the end, I found that I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the fact that she keeps me accountable. I fear her because I fear God, right? So we need to keep this love for God first. We need to keep, secondly, our fear of God. We need to keep, secondly, our fear of God. And then thirdly, we need to keep our love for our wife. Since we're in the Proverbs, just go back a few chapters. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 19. Well, look at verse 17. It says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth 
as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. You know, and this is just a real practical element of staying pure, but I'll be honest with you, you know, um, sometimes when there's not that healthy sexual intimacy at home, you know, then I'm not saying it's an excuse by any means, but, you know, guys will start going other places. They'll start looking. And a lot of times when the husband's not meeting, and usually it's not a sexual need, usually usually it's an emotional need where he's not giving her that affection that's due her in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about that. And the same thing can happen to her. And we see it happening more and more with ladies becoming financially independent, going out into the workplace, doing things really that weren't intended by God, that there's more and more affairs among men and also among women. But when we delight ourselves in the spouse that God's given to us, or for those of you that are single, delighting in your spouse your future spouse that God's going to bring to you, saving yourself for the one that God made you, made for you, then you, you will be blessed. You know, 1 Corinthians 7, when you have a chance, you just read through that chapter right there, and it, it talks about ways of staying pure. You know, some people, they have the gift of singleness, and so, you know, you don't really have that desire, and, you know, maybe you're going to, you know, be a eunuch, so to speak. You're going to stay single all your life. But if you have a desire to be with someone, then you don't have the gift of singleness. You know, sometimes what I see happening in the church is that even, you know, guys, that they're, they're struggling with sin, they're struggling with sexual sin. And uh, I, I, if I could even say this, because I know, you know, talking to guys, masturbation, and it's, it's sin, even though psychologists may tell you it's not, Christian psychologists may tell you it's not, it's sin because of where it takes your thoughts and because of the bondage you're in. And you've got to stop that. And you have to pray for a wife. You pray for a wife. See? And you've got to stay pure. See, you love God, you fear God, you keep your love for your spouse or your future spouse. And then fourthly, you keep your eyes where they belong. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Job 31 verse 1, where it says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? And so, you know, you don't, you know, and I know how it is. You know, you go to the mall or you can go almost anywhere nowadays. All you got to do is turn on that television. And there is just these, these images that, you know, they just want to take your eyes. And some guys are okay with looking. And that's why they end up falling. And you can't do that. We have to make a covenant with our eyes and not, you know, feast upon a young woman. Sometimes you see someone and who knows what beautiful is or... I don't know how girls are in this issue, in this area. I think for girls, you know, you see a guy, whatever, you know, good looking, you know, big biceps, and you're like, wow, guy, same thing, you know, whatever the, the image is. And I remember one, one Christian pastor, he said, it's okay to look. He says, it's okay to look, and you say, God, what a beautiful creature, right? That's what he said. Next thing he knows, he falls. It's not okay to look. It's not. Jesus said that if you look, to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. See? 
And so we have to guard our eyes, you know, and, and it just takes that spiritual discipline. Pornography has become an epidemic in the world that we live in, in the church that we have. I read one statistic that said 70% of all men ages 18 to 34 are engaged in full-on pornography. And it's not just a problem in the world. We know it's a problem in the church. Harry Schomburg, in his blog entitled Sexual Sin in the Ministry, it was March 6, 2012, said that over half of the men that have enrolled in their intensive counseling workshop for overcoming sexual sin were pastors and missionaries. One missions agency told him that 80% of their applicants voluntarily indicate a struggle with pornography, resulting in staff shortages on the field. And one seminary professor told him, we no longer ask for entering students if they're struggling with pornography. We just assume that they are. The only question we have is how bad is it? That's how bad pornography is. You know, and a lot of the pornography is online. A lot of it. On your phones. It's crazy. You know, we have a, a filtering thing. It's called Covenant Eyes. And if you don't have a filtering thing um, on your, your, your computer, especially if you have young people, man, I, I would encourage you to really pray about it. You know, this one right here, what it does is, that, number one, it blocks uh, those sites. And number two, it gives you a report of, uh, you know, how much time they're on, whatever that website is, Facebook, and you name it. So it's good, I think, as a parent, you know, as a father, to protect your family, to instill things like this. But see, we have to be so careful because Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 34, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. And so we got to be so careful. Number one, keep your love for God. Number two, keep your fear of God. Number three, keep your love for your wife or spouse. Number four, keep your eyes where they belong. Number five, keep your hearts clean. Keep your hearts clean. How many of you here have a dirty house? Just out of curiosity. Can I come over? No, I'm just joking. It's all right. Don't worry about it, okay? But your heart, that's a different story, right? Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 27. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, and, I, and I'll just be, I'm going to share this with you as a guy, okay? I'm at the mall and whatever, you hear the high heels next to you. Or you see, it's almost like at the corner of your eye, you see, uh, maybe it's a blurry image or whatever, okay? Question, what do you do, guys? You're like, well, let me double check. Oh, yeah, she is pretty. <laughs> you know, for me, I just, I just try to play it safe. I just play it safe. Keep my eyes in front of me the best that I can, right? Some guys, what they'll do is they'll see, okay, saw her. And then here's the problem, okay? When you're not playing it safe and when you do the double take, boom, you just committed adultery. That's how strong we need to be. That's the, those things, they do damage. I was talking to one brother the other day, and he doesn't have a filtering thing on his computer, so what ended up happening was he clicked on something. It wasn't, you know, this pornography thing, but he clicked on it, and an image came up. So he went to click back to close, and then another one came up. And another one came up until finally he had to shut it down because it was a trap. But now, guess what? Those images are there. 
You see, in our heart, Jesus said, if you've done this, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, there's this, there's this, this whole world in our heart. You know, some of you guys right here, you might go to work and you're like getting a little, maybe put on some little cologne and stuff. Even though you're married, you don't put it on for your wife, but you put it on when you go to work because, because of her. Because of her. Or maybe you guys do it for him. Or maybe sometimes you're even, you know, you're coming to church service and you think, man, I wonder if she'll be there. But you're married to who? Why? Because there's an affair going on in your heart. God sees it, even though no one else does. And you cannot tolerate that. You have to weed all of that out. That's wickedness. You can't allow any lust to linger because it will ruin your personal relationship with God. You see, it's in the heart. It's so important that we get these things right. You know, nowadays the problem is epidemic. 47% of all high schoolers say they have had sexual intercourse. 33% uh, question said they had had it over the last three months. 15% said they've had it for more than, with more than four people. You know, when you look at this whole thing about these emotional affairs, I was reading this right here. It says right here, emotionally it's possible to have feelings for more than one person at a time. But pragmatically, loving more than one person is impossible. And I would say, you know, to be honest with you, that I don't think you can, you can really two-time, you know. I don't think so. Jesus said that you love one more. See, it's important for us to know. It says right here, emotional infidelity, compared to just physical infidelity, can inflict as much, if not more, hurt, pain, and suffering upon our spouse. You know, because you're thinking, well, it's just in my heart. Oh, man, it's affecting your whole life. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. See, we have to keep our hearts clean. Proverbs 4.23 says, We are to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Everything, the heart of the matter, is always the matter of the heart that secret place. Make sure it's clean. Number six, keep your distance. Keep your distance. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word translated abstain, it literally means distance yourselves. Don't put yourself in that place of temptation. Like I said earlier, don't put yourself in a room where you're all alone with her or with him and think that you're going to be okay. There have to be boundaries. You've got to watch the way you hug. I mean, you name it. There has to be healthy distances between us and sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee immorality. You run away from it. You stay as pure as you possibly can. This is what Joseph did. You know, some guys, they want to flirt with fire and find out how close they can get and not be burned. Guys, we've got to have that heart to keep our distance we have to keep our love for God, our fear of God. Number three, keep our love for our spouse. Keep our eyes where they belong. Number five, keep our hearts clean. Number six, keep our distance. Number seven, keep accountable. If you're struggling with any of these things, don't say, well, you know what, I got convicted from today's study, and so I'm going to be okay. And you grit your teeth, and you think you're going to bear it. You won't be able to. You won't. You need somebody and you can't be accountable to your spouse. It usually doesn't work that way. Find a friend. 
Find a brother who can bear this burden with you. That is, if you want to get your life right, humble yourself and be transparent. Because God wants to make this church clean. He wants to bless you. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need that sharpening. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. The last thing I want to share with you, number eight, is keep in mind that it can happen to any of us. You know, and I don't want to offend anybody here, but, you know, it happens, and I just got to say this in a funny way, all ages, all shapes and sizes, you know, pretty, whatever you might think is pretty or ugly or whatever, it's I've taught to everybody from this end of the spectrum to this end, right? And so don't think it can't happen to you. Once we come to that place in our lives where we think we're beyond this temptation, then we allow those vulnerabilities to grow. You know, as we are strong in the Lord, it doesn't produce the elimination of the temptation, but it does produce the strength to endure. Remember Proverbs seven twenty four through 26. It says, Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray in her paths. For she has cast down many wounded And all who were slain by her were strong men. They were strong men at one time. They were strong women at one time. But they let themselves stray into those paths. If you don't want to be slain by her, then you need to slay yourself. We need to take up our cross and follow Christ. One man said, The cross isn't a recovery program to improve on what good is already there. It's a place to die. It's not a question of giving up sexual sin, but of giving up one's rights. See, we have no rights, man. They died at the cross. And so all these things, the way that we you know, look and use our eyes and our hands and our bodies and our boundaries, all those things, they need to be surrendered to the Lord. You know, sometimes I tell myself, Manny, you're good in this area. You're not much of a catch. For one, girls aren't going to want you. <laughs> you know, look how the spot you have on your head, whatever. Look how long you've walked with the Lord and you've stayed pure and you're good. But then I'm always reminded that, you know, that's not the heart they have. And I always, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is James chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is that man who endures temptation. I might find myself one day right there. And who knows, you know, I don't know what's gone. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how the whole thing works. I'm praying, God, lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation. And who knows, you know, maybe God has set a hedge about me. But maybe one day, God will test me. And God will bring that girl in that place, in that situation where what's going to be tested? My love for God. Is it real? And so James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. When will we have been approved? When? When we die. Until then, we will be tempted. 
Blessed is that man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, you know, the end of our life, man, the end of our life, then, if we stay true, if we die with purity, if we die with character, if we die with integrity, if we love our wives, if we love our husbands, if we love the Lord, when we've been approved, then we'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, Satan's going to go fishing. And on that hook, he's going to put that guy, he's going to put that girl. That, that, you know, and, and we'll be tested. I pray that when that moment comes, that we'll be strong. I told you guys earlier that before I was a Christian, I was, uh, I was involved in sexual sin. I was sexually immoral. But after I became a Christian, God then gave me the strength I needed to stay pure. And so I want to close with this. If you're not a Christian, if you don't know the Lord, then you can't do this. Oh, there's just no way. If you're living in repetitive, continual, habitual sexual sin, then you're probably not a Christian. You just got to face the facts. And what you got to do today is you got to come to the Lord. You know, because He loves you. And because if you don't, you'll ruin everything. And so I pray we would get our lives right. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word. And I pray, Lord, that in my life, oh God, I would not be able to do this apart from you. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.